And if you have your Bibles this morning, you'll open to John chapter 1. Pardon me, John chapter 1. Now, next week is uh, Mother's Day. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. And don't fear, I have been made very aware you expect chocolates. So I won't forget. (laughs) All right. It's uh, only taken us eight sermons to get here to the end of John chapter 1. It won't take us this long through every chapter, (laughs) but it's taken us a little while here. There's a lot in chapter 1. Uh, But we're going to come to the end of that this morning and then move to chapter 2 next week. um, We've been watching here in John chapter 1 last week and and this week, Jesus call his first disciples to salvation. And uh, began John the Baptist has been preparing the way. He's been used by God to ready hearts and to point people to Jesus Christ. Uh, And in a perfectly orchestrated timing, Jesus comes on to the scene. John prepares the way and has been preaching and and reminding Israel of what they are supposed to be looking for. And then when the exact time is right, Jesus enters the scene. And that's true even in these moments that we look at here with the first calling of the the disciples to salvation here. We see last week, we saw Andrew and John uh, come to know Jesus as they were passed from John the Baptist to follow Jesus, and then they find Andrew's brother, Peter, who we know so well. We're reminded, as we saw that last week, of the importance of sharing the gospel with those that we know. Uh, And, you know, as Andrew did with his brother, Uh, Peter, and we'll see again today as Nathaniel, or as Philip does with his friend Nathaniel. You know, there are times and there are opportunities where we can can share the gospel with strangers and people we may not know, and and maybe we have opportunities to to door knock or to track drop or to street preach or whatever, in in many ways where we can present the gospel to people that we, we do not know. And At times, those can be very effective ways to reach people for Christ. But there are also so many opportunities that we already have around us to present the gospel where we don't have to go out and try and uh, cold call, as it were, perhaps, because they're already there. You're most people, and I'd say with probably most of the people in this room, I'd say it's probably true, most people come to Christ because of somebody they know. Uh, It does happen that we are introduced to Christ through somebody we don't know or in unusual circumstances, but predominantly, more often than not, people are brought to Christ because they know somebody who has shared the gospel with them and has lived the gospel before them. And that's how most people will come to a relationship with Jesus Christ because they've seen it lived and heard it taught from somebody they know, a family member, a work colleague, a friend who has shared the gospel with them. And that's what we see so often through the word of God and through the gospels. Andrew goes to his brother, Peter. Philip goes to his friend, Nathaniel. 
and so on. You already have many doors, many opportunities open to you and available to you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when we looked at the, the whole passage, and we, we'll read through it again in just one moment, we read from verse 35 through the end, and we looked at that whole passage together and, and saw the movement of that passage from beginning to end. And it starts there at the beginning in verse 35 with John the Baptist uh, preaching and, and telling people when he sees Jesus, and he points the way to Jesus. So John the Baptist points to Jesus, and so we saw that at the beginning. We point people to Christ, and then the passage ends in verse 51, which we'll read just here a moment, of Jesus connecting people to God. And that's how the work of God uh, is brought about. Let's read this morning. We will read the whole passage again from verse 35 uh, and cover these two days together, but we're going to focus on the last section today. So John chapter 1, verse 35, says, Again, the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. When Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, Kephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite, Indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, thou believest. Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, encourage us, strengthen us, and challenge us. Lord, may our hearts be soft and submitted to the Spirit as you use your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we see more of this dynamic, this dynamic of point people to Christ and Christ connects to God. And we see this through Philip and Nathaniel. How do we find Jesus and what is our role in that, that process as we look along? And so we want to think a bit more about this. One of the phrases that 
comes through this passage a couple of times here is this, passage, this thought of come and see. To see who Jesus is. Show people who Jesus is. Let them find Jesus as we point them to him and see the truth about who Jesus is. So as we begin and, and we look at this firstly, I want to talk firstly about this thought we see in verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. We begin firstly here to see Philip who is called by Jesus. He is called by Jesus. Jesus seeks Philip. He came with a purpose here. You know, our verse begins, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee. Jesus is seeking, and just as he seeks Philip here, he seeks us. Verse 43 gives us the position, it gives us the time and place, but more importantly than giving us time and place, it tells us the purpose of what is about to happen here. You know, there are two ways to find something, and we often see this in our own house. You know, we've just had a, a birthday in our house, Silas's birthday, and so typically when we have birthdays or things like that or Christmas, we do what most people do. We buy a present and we put it somewhere safe and then forget where that safe place is. And so we will look all over the house. We will search for that that gift. Think, I know we put it somewhere. I know it, it must be here and we'll search for it. So one way to find something is to actively search for it. Inevitably, for us, what happens is while we're actively searching for it, we do not find it. And six months down the road, when we're packing boxes to move, we stumble upon it in a place with, well, I have no idea how it got there, but there it is. So two ways to find things are, one, we can seek for it with intent, or we can stumble upon it. Here, when we look at Jesus seeking, and we look at Jesus finding Philip, we are seeing someone who does not just stumble upon someone or stumble upon a person, but someone who has been seeking with intent. There is purpose here. He has not just stumbled upon Philip. Philip and Nathaniel, who are the two we see in this passage, meeting Jesus is no accident. Jesus did not just stumble upon them. He was there looking for them. It tells us Jesus was there with purpose. Those words we see in the beginning of verse 4, that he would go forth, they're often translated uh, in, in other ways as Jesus wanted or Jesus decided or Jesus purposed. That's the meaning behind he would go forth, that he purposed. The word means to desire, to want strongly with intent or purpose. So as we read these words, the day following Jesus would go forth, we're reading here Jesus with intent, with purpose, went to Galilee. So he wasn't just wandering around going, well, you know what, today I want to go north. It's getting cold down here, we'll go up to Galilee. Or you know, we'll, we'll go up, you know, Andrew and Peter have a home up there, maybe we can stay with, with them. He was there for a reason. He went there for purpose. Everything that Jesus does, he does with purpose. Jesus wasn't just some guy who happened to stumble into 
the work that God had wanted for him and, and to be used by God. Jesus wasn't just stumbling around and bumbling around. Everything he did, he did with purpose. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14, John tells us this, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He sent the Son. That's purpose. That's intent. He sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus is in the world on purpose. And he is here at the right time and the right place. There is no mistake. There is no accident. Everything he did while he was here was on purpose. Jesus even tells us this himself. Later in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus say as he's in the garden, he says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. This, there's a reason I'm here. Do I come all the way here, get to this very moment and say, don't make me go through it? Jesus says, no, this is the reason I am here. Everything Jesus did from beginning to end of his ministry and his life was leading him to the cross and the resurrection. Every detail, every movement, every conversation. And just like he lived with purpose in this time on this earth, he is still acting according to purpose. He never does anything by accident. We, we like to grab on to verses like Romans 8, verse 28, don't we? Which tells us everything, absolutely everything, is done for his purpose. For his purpose. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11, Paul reminds us that things are done according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing Jesus does now or has ever done is accidental. It's with purpose. It's with intent. What is his purpose? What did he come to do? He came to save the lost. He came with purpose, and that purpose was to save the lost. What is his purpose for being in Galilee? His purpose for being in Galilee is Philip and Nathaniel. That's why he's there. That's why he went. Jesus is seeking the lost. In the Gospel of Luke, what is typically seen as the theme verse of Luke is Luke 19 and verse 10, which tells us the reason Jesus came. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came with the intent to seek people for salvation. We are lost in sin. We are born into this world without direction, without hope in this world. Isaiah 53, uh, the, the great uh, passage about the, the suffering Savior, tells us that we are wandering from God. Lost, gone our own way. Paul uses that passage in Romans chapter 3 to remind us that there is none that seek God. No, not one. Right? So we're not seeking God. God is seeking us. There is none that seek God, no, not one. If God did not seek us, we would never find him. 
in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but how? According to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Jesus seeks with intent, with purpose. Nothing happens by accident. You know, and as he seeks, Jesus calls. He seeks us, and in his seeking us, he calls us to himself. He calls us personally. Personally. Remember, John's purpose is to get us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We've seen that from the beginning. It's been a main theme as we've watched him open his gospel here, that he wants us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So he's leading us here to see, in part, the divine side of salvation. That is, he wants us to see that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, the Savior, who is doing the seeking, who is doing the work. So from our perspective, it seems as though we follow him. And that's a a right perspective. As we look and as we see what God has done to us, it appears to us that we follow him. But the reality is we follow him because he has called us to follow him. Jesus comes to Philip here, says, follow me. And Philip follows. He follows because he was called. He was called to Jesus. The reason Jesus is there is Philip, to call Philip. The reason Jesus passes by John the Baptist the day before is because John and Andrew are there. There's no mistakes. He did it with purpose. Jesus is calling people to salvation in him. We talk about the call of God to salvation. The call of God is the means by which the, the elect are brought into the experience of salvation. That is, the call of God is the means by which people who don't know Christ as Savior, but who have been chosen by God, predetermined by God, because that's what the Bible tells us, find their way into salvation. But you might say, didn't Jesus preach to everyone? And didn't you just tell us last week that we need to preach the gospel to every nation and to all people? Yes, that's absolutely true. Jesus did preach to all people. And I did say, preach the gospel to every nation. And I will say it again and again, because that is what we are called to do. But the Bible describes firstly a general call. A general call of God. That is, the gospel is preached in the world indiscriminately. We are called, whether we understand it or not, we are called to preach the gospel to everyone. To share the gospel to all. Doing this by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a reason for that in, in all things. And one of the things is it proclaims the saving work of God. And it exposes us to our sin and to God's standard. As we proclaim the gospel, we are telling the world this is who God is and this is what he expects. So that we are then all, every single one of us, 
put into a place of responsibility. That is, we are all without excuse. As we proclaim the gospel, it leaves us all in a position where we find ourselves without excuse in the day of judgment because we have been put in a place of responsibility. The general call of God, that is the proclamation of the gospel to the entire world, then leads to a specific personal call. Because it's true. I mean, we, we see passages, don't we, that say, preach the gospel and, and that, that the gospel should go into the whole world, that God wants people to be saved. But we all know, and no matter where you sit in the spectrum of Christianity, we all know and we all believe, unless you are a universalist, that not everyone is going to get saved. So that general call must translate into a personal call somewhere along the line. That's why the Bible so often refers to believers with the term the called. Read through the epistles. Romans, he says it over, he opens his letter with it, and, and Ephesians, and he says that we are the called. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Like Philip, we follow Jesus because we have been called to follow Jesus. You know, if I was to stand here, and I'm going to use you as an example, and it's not bad. If I was to stand here or in church sometime while we're all here and I was to say, uh, to call out and say, Anaya, I need you to do that job. Now, if I was to, to do that, you all heard what I said. You heard that I have a job that I need to be done. You know I need something done, but it doesn't make sense to you. But it does to Anaya because I would have told her beforehand, I would have prepared her that there's something I need done, when I tell you I need that done, you do it. So the general call I make, as I call out and say, I need that done, most of you go, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. But Anaya does the job. So that general call has become a specific call. Why? Because she's my child and I prepared her for it and called her to it. Now that's uh, just a general, and it, it has a lot of weaknesses in that illustration, but at least it helps us a little bit there. See, when Jesus calls, he calls personally. But when Jesus calls, he also calls powerfully. It's not enough for the call to just be personal. What, what good is my personal call to Anaya in that illustration? if she doesn't respond. So I say, I need that job done, Anaya. And she just looks at me and goes, well, it was pointless whether I made it personal or not. You know, most believers talk a big game about how powerful God and his word are. You know, yet when it comes to salvation, we make his word impotent, without power. God's word to salvation is powerful in as much as people choose to respond, so many people believe. It is, the call of God goes out, the word of God goes out, and his word is only as powerful as people are to respond to that word. 
Well, brothers and sisters, that's not powerful at all. The power is then put in my hands, not God's hands. Where else, where else do we ever see that happen? Never. We never see that happen by anywhere else. We like to quote for many different reasons and about the word of God, Isaiah 55 and verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper the thing whereunto I send it. Consider, consider creation, shall I say. It says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. When God said it, it happened. It's powerful. God's word has power. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 33 and verse 9. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded it and it stood fast. One of the old theologians and pastors of old Charles Hodge describes it this way. He says, to call, therefore, in scriptural language, is to affect, to cause, to be, or to occur. These are two things involved in this form of expression. The one is that God is the author or cause of the effect which occurs in the consequence of his call or command. The other is the efficiency to which the effect is due is not in second causes. So what he means is this. When God speaks, God is the cause of the effect and there is no other cause. He speaks, and what he speaks happens. It does not rely on a secondary cause. So when God created the universe, he did not speak, and then it needed some other form of energy or some other form of thing to create. He is the cause, and he is the only cause. When he speaks, his word does exactly what he says. Jesus says it this way. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. There is no doubt. If the Father says it, that is what happens. Jesus calls. It doesn't mean that people will be saved against their will. You think about that, because that's often brought up about this. What if, what if people get saved against their will? Is, is God just against our will? Well, think about that for a moment, because to think about that for a moment, you begin to realize, has there ever been a more ridiculous argument? To be saved against your will. When we talk about the call of God, the effectual call of God, it is an expression of the effectiveness of grace. How great grace is to take the one who is unwilling, who is blinded, and opens their eyes to see the glorious truth. If your eyes are open to see the beauty of God, how do you say no to that? If God has opened your eyes to see his glory, to see his salvation, to see his wonder, what kind of fool must you be? What kind of darkness must you be in to say, nah, 
I don't want anything that magnificent. I don't want anything that wonderful. I don't want anything that glorious. When our eyes are open to see the beauty of God, it's impossible to say no. Because he is so magnificent. Paul says in 2 Timothy, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. Salvation from beginning to end is all the work of God. Jesus calls us. He has sought us. He seeks us. And in his seeking, he calls us. And he calls us to follow him. We are called by Jesus to follow Jesus. The words to Philip are, follow me. We see that over and over again through the the Gospels, don't we? Whenever Jesus calls, it's follow me. We're to follow Jesus to know him. To know him. Our text continues, so Philip is found there in Bethsaida, verse 45. Then Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. He saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of, heaven, of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Here we're called by Jesus to follow Jesus, to know him, because Jesus knows us. Jesus knows us. Again, it seems as if Nathaniel finds Jesus, but as we follow the passage through, we quickly realize that it was Jesus that was already at work. Jesus had already been seeking Nathaniel. Jesus had already been working in the life of Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is amazed at Jesus' knowledge of him and what he already knows. Jesus knows all about you. There is nothing hidden from his eyes. Often that that concept is used to scare us. Jesus knows everything, so don't be doing anything bad because Jesus sees it. Right, and that's true. Jesus does see everything we do and he sees when we, we sin and we do things, but you know what it also means? Jesus sees everything about me. He knows my worries. He knows my struggles. He knows my confusions. He knows what it is that's keeping me from believing Jesus. He knows what it is that's holding me back. He knows everything about me. And in knowing everything about me, he is able to be the one I need in every possible sense. Nathan, or Nathaniel, when he is found, is reading the Bible. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our needs. He knows our worries. Jesus knows that Andrew and John needed time to talk. So he comes by and they follow him and he has time to talk with them. But he also knows that Nathaniel doesn't need that. Nathaniel is going to respond differently. 
And so he comes to the Philip and Nathaniel differently. Jesus knows his own. He knows those who are his, and he knows where to find his own. He is, isn't he, in John 10, the good shepherd? The good shepherd who seeks his sheep? The good shepherd who finds the lost sheep and cares for them when they are found? Jesus knows us. We must know God. That is true for every one of us, no matter our background. We must know God. Jesus tells Nathanael, when he sees Nathanael coming in verse 47, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. That's a, a, a great statement to be made of you. An Israelite indeed, which carries the meaning of, here is a true Israelite, not one who is just an Israelite by name or by birth, but one who truly believes what it is to be an Israelite, one who is looking for the Messiah, one who is living for the Messiah. So he speaks highly of him in terms of this. He's not just a nationalistic Jew. He is one who truly believes. He's an Israelite indeed. And then he says, in whom is no guile. Now, he's not saying that Nathaniel is sinless. Here we have a statement that Nathaniel is a man of integrity and godliness. Here is a, a man who comes to Jesus who, who isn't the, the one who parades himself around and pretends to be godly before other people. He's not the, the vile degenerate that we might think of as coming. He is, he's a man of integrity. He's a good guy. Right? Nathaniel is the guy who lives his life trying to do the right thing, trying to be a good neighbor, trying to follow the right codes, trying to please God, trying to do what is right and good. Nathaniel is what we would all think of and we'd say, this is a good man. He's a good man, and he's a religious man. He's studying scripture. He's looking for the Messiah. He wants to live right. Even people like Nathaniel need Jesus. Right? We think about what, who God saves, and we, we think of the, the degenerates, and we think of the great sins. Even people like Nathaniel, even good people, need Jesus. It's not enough to just know about Jesus. To like Jesus, to be a good person, to live a good life, that's not enough. Even good people need Jesus. The good guy and the bad guy, they're alike to Jesus. It's not enough to know about God. We need to be known by him. We need to follow Jesus as Savior. We need to know him as Savior. Notice that when Jesus calls people, he calls them to follow me. The call to salvation is a call to discipleship, to follow. Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers, for disciples. The call to follow Jesus is a call to grow deeper in knowing who God is. So the call to salvation, the call to follow me, is a call which lasts our entire life. From the moment I believe Jesus is Savior and I say, yes, I will follow you, it means I will follow you. I will learn who you are. I will follow your ways. I will know you more deeply, more truly. Philip and Nathaniel both thought that they knew about the Messiah. 
But as they followed Jesus, they would soon learn how much they did not know about the Messiah. How much more they needed to know. We are called by Jesus to follow Jesus, to know him and to make him known. Again, we see here that we need to invite people to come to Jesus. We keep seeing this here. One person finds Jesus or is found by Jesus and is then compelled to find someone else and to point them to Jesus. When Jesus is known, we want to make him known. It's a natural process. When Jesus is known, we want to make him known. Now, none of these men have the answers. Each of them, their friends ask him, you know, who, who is it? You say it's the Messiah, and they say, well, I don't know who he is. Come, come and see. None of them have the answers their friends are looking for. And many times, you won't know the answers to the questions you're asked. You'll say, look, I want to tell you about Jesus. I follow Jesus. I want you to follow Jesus. They say, well, what about this? I don't know. Let's go see. Like I said last week, Jesus isn't afraid of investigation. He's calling us to himself. Invite people to come to Jesus and see Jesus do great things. Our text ends in verse 51, and he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Heaven hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angel of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You know, it's true, Nathaniel would see amazing miracles. You know, he walked with Jesus, and so would Philip and Andrew and John, and they would see uh, amazing and wonderful things that were beyond uh, their imagination. But that's not just what Jesus is talking about here. He's not just talking about that they will see miracles if they follow Jesus. As you follow Jesus, you will see lives changed eternally. Sin overcome. Lives and relationships restored. Trials endured. Not taken away, but endured. Growth in godliness. Blessings poured out. Miracles happen. You become part of God's work in sharing the gospel. Meeting the needs of those around you. Making disciples. The greatest thing of all is you will see Jesus intercede for us. And that's the picture that he gives us here as he uses Jacob's ladder as an illustration. In Jacob's vision, it's, it's a ladder, but here he says that ladder is him. How do people find God and how do the blessings of God find people? Jesus. How does one stand before a holy God? Jesus. How do we find and know who God is? Jesus. You will see and find the most amazing things, the most wonderful things of who God is because Jesus stands between us. Jesus intercedes for us. He is the one who reconciles God and man. And you know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what one of the most amazing things that we have is? We are called to be preachers of reconciliation. 
we get to share the message. We get to lead people to see that Jesus can connect us to God. Ministers of reconciliation. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. No one can accuse me because Jesus stands between me and the Father. He pleads my case. He pours out the blessings of the Father on me. What is greater than that? There is no greater thing to see than that Jesus intercedes for me. Believer, you are known by God. He found you, and he called you out of darkness and out of death. He knows who you were when he did that. And he knows who you would be when he did that. He knows everything about you. He knows your strengths. He knows your gifts. He knows your goodness. He knows your struggles. He knows your pains. He knows your temptations. And in all of that, Jesus calls you to follow him. To follow him to glory, to joy, and to satisfaction. To follow him through trial and pain and temptation. To follow him into a life of wonder. To follow him and to know him. To grow to be like him. To grow deeply in your love for him. To follow him and to make him known. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your savior. You've never believed that Jesus has died for your sins and in your place. Maybe today you're here because Jesus is calling you. And you're here to hear that Jesus seeks us. Heed his call today. Follow him. And when you follow him, you will see heaven opened as the sun intercedes for you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your work in this world and that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that you do by accident. We thank you that in every part and in every way, your word is powerful. That it does what you intend it to do. So God, as we have, have seen some aspects of who you are this morning, Lord, remind us to follow you, to know you, and to make you known. And for anyone here this morning, our God, who is yet to follow you, may today be the day they answer that call. In Jesus' name, amen.